This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible, and we do appreciate those of you that are watching today. We, we want to ask a question today, and, and we want to study the answer to that question. Is God real? Now, some of you may be saying, well, of course, Brother Lambert, everyone knows that God is real. No, no, they do not. There are many people today who would say, I don't believe in God. Is God real? We want to talk about that today. Please stay tuned. Now, today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're continuing to offer a free Bible Correspondence Course. There are literally thousands of people that have already taken this course, calling and writing to Getting to Know Your Bible to receive the free course. We're going to pause right now so that you can learn a little bit more about the Bible course, and then you can learn how you can receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. When I think about the question, is God real? One of the first passages of Scripture that came to my mind was in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. And the occasion is when the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens and he was preaching a sermon to them. And I want to read a portion of that sermon from Acts 17, beginning with verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that at all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the, all the face of the earth, and has determined their uh, pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we're also his offspring. Therefore, since we're the offspring of God, 
We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Is God real? Well, that sermon that Paul preached to those idolaters in the city of Athens was this answer. Yes, God is real. And there is one God in whom we live and move and have our very being. You say, well, why can we believe, Brother Lambert, that God is real? Is there any line of reasoning at all that would cause us to believe in the reality of God? Well, I'd like to read a couple of places out of the book of Hebrews. First of all, I'd like to read from the first chapter of Hebrews, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, and that's Jesus, whom He has appointed heir of all things, listen to this now, through whom also He made the worlds. He made the worlds. Now, listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Matter demands a maker. This podium that I have my Bible on right now is not a living object. That podium is matter. And matter demands a maker. There was someone somewhere at some time who put this podium together. There is a principle that teaches that matter demands a maker. I don't know of anyone anywhere, at least I've not run into them yet, that denies that matter exists. That the universe is a reality. How can you deny the universe around us? And someone says, well, where did it all come from? What is the origin of the universe? What was the cause of the universe? Well, every physical effect must have a cause. I, I say that it not only must have a cause, but it must have an adequate cause. That, that's referred to as the law of cause and effect. You see, this podium is in effect. There's a cause for this effect, and that's someone who built it. The universe is a reality. Where did it come from? What was the cause behind the universe? Who caused the universe and all of the matter that exists in it? Now, the theory that of the atheistic evolutionist is that everything that we have around us, everything out here in the universe came 
from the so-called Big Bang. And according to them, it happened about 14 billion years ago. And that when every bit of matter and energy in the, in the universe was put into a ball that exploded, and that ball that exploded caused galaxies throughout all of the universe. Oh man, what a fantastic theory that is. You know what that person has to do that he believes in the so-called Big Bang Theory? They, they have to first of all explain the origin of the ball of matter. If there was a ball of matter that exploded, what is the origin of that ball of matter? What is the cause of that ball of matter? And it had to have something behind it that was adequate to cause it. A man by the name of Stephen Hawkins, who is an atheist, said, nothing caused the Big Bang. And he and another fellow wrote this, bodies such as the stars and black holes cannot just appear out of nothing. Now think about this now, process this. He and another atheist said bodies like stars and black holes cannot appear out of nothing, but they went on to say, but a whole universe can. Can you in your wildest dreams, this would almost take a nightmare to believe this, come to the conclusion that there was a time or there was some time in the eons and millions and millions of eons ago when there was absolutely nothing. You see, they're saying that the, that the universe appeared out of nothing. There wasn't anything that existed. A man by the name of Don Barker, who was one of the leading atheists here in America, said, Do you really believe that something can come from nothing? And you know what he said? Yes. Well, there was a time that the material universe did not exist. But there was a time that matter came into existence. Now think about this. Matter is not eternal. It's not eternal. So something that's outside of the material realm brought that matter into existence. There's absolutely no way, I repeat, no way to explain the cause of the universe without a supernatural being, without intelligence, some intelligence behind it. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and in verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world the invisible things of him from the creation of the world, listen to him now, are clearly seen. Being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. You know, there's no way to explain the universe around us. 
without a supernatural being, intelligence. I want you to notice this. This is a line of reasoning called a syllogism. Something has always been. There's always been something. Something does not come from nothing. It just doesn't happen that way. Everything will come from either mind or matter. Is that something that has always been matter? Or is it some form of intelligence? Let me put it like this. Can a watch make a watchmaker? Or does it take a watchmaker to make the watch? Well, the watch is matter. And it takes intelligence to make the watch. That's just common sense. And there is some form of intelligence that is behind everything that exists in our world. Let me call your attention to a passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 4. Every house is built by some man. Now that's just about common sense. I say sometimes it's about the most uncommon thing today in our world is common sense. But we need to use common sense when we study the Bible. And common sense tells you that every house is built by somebody. This building that we're meeting, this is my office. And this office, which is an old building built in 1908, and it served as a hotel many years ago. And now I have a nice office here where we study and where we prepare the lessons for getting to know your Bible. Back in the early part of the 1900s, somebody built this building. It didn't just happen. Think about the house you live in. Or think about the car that you drive. They didn't just happen. There had to be some kind of intelligent planning and design behind those things. Every house is built by some man, but the answer, the, the second part of that passage says, but he that built all things is God. I've often used this illustration. Suppose a man takes off in an airplane and he's flying out over the ocean and he's going to take an extended trip out over the ocean to, a, to some uh, remote resort. But he begins to look down and he sees something down there that's not on his charts. It's not on his flight plan. And he radios back and he says to the tower, he said, I think I've discovered an island that's not on our, on our maps and not on our charts. Well, they said, why don't you fly down over there and see if there's anyone living on that island. So let's just imagine he turns the plane around and he comes flying over that island. And he's flying so low that he almost tops the palm trees that are growing on that island. That's how low he is. Now he's been asked, is anybody living there? Now here's what he reports back at the tower. Well, there's a house down there. 
And there's a sidewalk going up to the front door of that house. And there appear to be little flowers blooming alongside that sidewalk. And out in the backyard of that little cottage, there appears to be a garden like you're growing vegetables. Now let me ask you a question. After observing all of that, well, what's the pilot going to report back about whether or not somebody's living there? He says, you know, there's, a, there, there's all the signs that there, of life on that island. Somebody had to build that house. Somebody had to build that sidewalk. Somebody had to plant those flowers. Somebody had to plant that garden. The answer is, yes, there's life there. And everything we see in our world has somebody behind it. And that somebody is God. God is the creator of everything that exists. So matter demands a maker. And our maker is God. He is our creator. You know, Solomon Ecclesiastes 12 and 1 said, Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. In Psalms 90, chapter 95 and verse 6, the, the psalmist said, Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. In the 100th Psalm we're told, It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Matter demands a maker. We demand a maker. We're not just an accident that happened. There's creation. Yes, there's creation. And there's design in the creation on this earth. There's design in the universe. That's why we read in Psalms 19 and 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. So matter demands a maker. God is that maker. He is that maker. For every effect, there has to be a cause, an adequate cause. Just imagine a fellow's going out fishing one day, and he's going out to this place that he is sort of a secret place, and it's a lake out in a swampy area, and not many people know it's there. But he knows how to get there. As a matter of fact, I remember going to a place like this with some fellows one time. And so there the, he is sitting in the boat out on this lake. And, and it's one of those days, one of those most beautiful days. And the, calm, the lake is calm. The water is calm. And, and the fish are biting. And then all of a sudden, he sees a whirlwind on the top of the water. The water's just churning and churning and churning and churning. And he thinks, well, that's strange. There's no wind blowing. What's causing that? And then he gets a little closer to it and he sees what's causing all that commotion on the water is a mosquito. That mosquito's flying around and around creating all that confusion on the water. He create, actually created a whirlwind on the water. Now somebody says, now, Brother Lambert, I've been watching you a long time and you know better than that, don't you? Yes, I do. It'd take more than a mosquito to create that kind of an effect. You see, the mosquito is not an adequate cause 
Well, that kind of an effect on the water. And behind everything that exists in this world, there must be a cause that is powerful enough, that is intelligent enough, that is strong enough to create the effect that we see in our world. And that cause is God. That cause is God. Matter demands a maker. Well, here's another reason I believe in God. And that's also found in Paul's uh, lesson to the uh, people in Athens in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 28 where he is talking about the one true God. And here's the point I make. Life demands a life giver. Look at verse number 28 one more time. For he is not far from every one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said, but we also are His offspring. Life demands a life giver. Life does not come into existence from nothing. Uh, you just think about life coming to trying to th- conceive the notion that life came from nothing. I, I don't know of a scientist, maybe you know of one, I don't know of a scientist that would, would deny that. Uh, a, an evolutionist by the name of John Sullivan said, it became an accepted doctrine that life never arises except from life. Now you think about that. Here's a man who is an evolutionist, and he says it's accepted, it's an accepted doctrine, it's an accepted belief that life never arises except from some other form of life. Life demands a life giver. And there's an evolutionist by the name of George Gaylord Simpson, and this is what he said. There are no serious doubts that biogenesis, that is the beginning of life, is the role that life comes only from other life. Life demands a life giver. Now, how did that first life come into being? How did it happen? Was it an accident? Now Paul answers that when he came into Athens, he said it's in God that we live. It's in God that we move. It's in God that we have our very being. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 and verse 6, For there is one God who is above all and through all and in you all. God is the giver of life. A man by the name of Dr. Anthony Flew was for five decades the world's leading atheistic thinker. A, a member of the Church of Christ, the late doc, Dr. Thomas Warren, debated Dr. Flew a number of years ago out in Texas. And they discussed the reality and the existence of God. And it is thought that as a result of that debate that Dr. Flew's thinking 
began to be open to the idea that perhaps there was some intelligent being that existed. But this is what he said and was forced to conclude. He said the only satisfactory explanation for the origin of such indirected self-replicating life as we see it on earth, now listen to him now, is an infinitely intelligent mind. Here's a man who is an atheist. Here's a man who did not truly believe in God. But before he died, he came to the conclusion that there must be some intelligent being, some intelligent mind behind everything that exists. Well, another way of saying that is life demands a life giver. And we know that life, who that life giver is, and that life giver is God. Now, the question we began with, is God real? And the answer is, yes, God is real. Or else, how do you explain life itself? But outside of a life giver. Dr. Flew said that the thing that really helped to convince him was the DNA in the human body. That's a code in the human body. I think all of us understand about DNA and what it does and how it operates in our body. He said, you think about the binary code in a computer. Somebody had to put that code in that computer. And we can only sit down and use our computer because somebody programmed that computer. They put that code in the computer. And he said there had to be somebody to put the code in the human person, the human mind, in the human body. It had to be some intelligence to do that, and that's God. Yes, God is real. I want to thank you for watching today. And before we close today, let me urge you to give your life to this true God. Believe on His Son with all of your heart. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as being the Son of the living God. And as a penitent, confessing believer in Jesus, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You'll be added to the body of Christ. You can live for God and die a faithful child of His. May I urge you right now to pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible correspondence course. Please do that without delay. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible. 
P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.